0: This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Really excited to talk to this woman. Why? Because several years ago, uh, one of my, my my buddies, Tracy Sherrod, was like, mm, what's up, girl? I was like, hey. I got a book that you need to read, and I was like, "What is it?" And she gave me this book, Winch, and I was like, "Ah, oh, not another book about enslavement or somebody in bondage. This is slave trauma porn enough already." And then I'm reading it, and I couldn't put it down. I think I read it in one day, and it messed me up. It was it was all of the things, and I was like, "I got to get this woman on the sh- on the show at some point." Well, she's here today, Uh, author of Winch, she also did the remix or the redo of 12 Years of Slave. And she's got a new book called Take My Hand. Let me welcome the great Dolan Perkins Valdez. Hi. Hi there. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. Before we get into this book and and Tracy and Winch and all of this, where, where are you from originally? Memphis.
1: Originally. Memphis, Tennessee.
0: Okay. So growing up in Memphis, Tennessee with the name Dolan Perkus Valdez, is that your, your given name? Is, did you always have that hyphenate? It was Mr. Valdez. Is there Valdez? Somebody? Talk to me.
1: Valdez is the husband. And, okay. Uh, okay. Perkins, yes, okay. Is okay.
0: Is, okay. All right. Now growing up in the South at the time that you grew up to envision yourself as an author, who was, who was that inspiration? Was it Tony? Was it Zora? Was it Alice? Who, who, or was it somebody else?
1: Well, you know, growing up, I didn't know anything about a Toni Morrison, right? I didn't know anything about a Alice Walker. They didn't teach those writers in school. There was no, now a lot of high schools have African-American history. My high school didn't have anything like that. Um, my parents were not literary people, so they didn't know anything about a Toni Morrison. I didn't encounter those women until college. So when I was growing up, I read, you know, things that books you could find in the supermarket. So my mother and I would go to the grocery store and while she shopped for groceries, I'd go over and look in the book. So I was reading like Jackie Collins, Sidney Shield, and any kind of book you could find in the supermarket. Stephen King, I read. Yeah, I was them. just
0: thinking. Stephen King, Judy Krantz, man, that was yeah. a little little racy, you know, this little
1: romance stuff. Ju- That's Judy right. Bloom. Yes. Go ahead. All of those. And so I didn't really get exposed to black writers until college. And that was a revolution for me because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe there were these writers I'd never even heard of. All right. So Memphis, Memphis, right? To yeah.
0: Harvard. To Harvard. Yeah. yeah what was that? All right, because again, no exposure to the history and all you, you end up at Harvard from Memphis.
1: No, nope. and I was country. I got there and uh they uh talked about me because I was wearing fishnet pantyhose with my shorts walking across campus with like boots on. And so I got there and um, you know, that was my first exposure in the north, and I had, you know, a thick accent and um, You know, but I, it was a revolution for me to be, I became an African-American at that time, we called it Afro-American studies major because I just couldn't get enough. I wanted more. I just wanted to read all the black literature, all the black history I could get. It was all new to me. I came out of public schools in Memphis. I was in a strong public school in Memphis, but there was no African-American literature or African-American history in my high school.
0: So what was the first book that you said, oh my goodness. Um, what have I been missing? What was that first book?
1: Probably The Color Purple by Alice Walker. I had seen the movie, but I had never, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, we see the movie before we read the book, but I had never really understood her as a writer. And so I read The Color Purple and I was blown away. And then I read some other Alice Walker books. I read The Third Life of Grange Copeland. The first time I read Toni Morrison, I didn't understand her. She was very difficult.
0: Same, same. I often tell the story of Beloved because I was an English major and I was like, she can't write. That's how ignorant I was at 18, 19. Like, why is she getting Pulitzers? Like, the hell is she talking about? Yeah. But I went back in my 20s. I was like, "Wow, mm, no, she's just too erudite for me. Came back in my 30s and was like, she's a mother freaking genius. Oh my God, she, she's a genius. She's but, the queen. Like, she's the oh queen, God. forever Jeez. queen genius all right so winch uh that's the first time i met you that was your first book yep
1: that was my first
0: book. okay what inspired that because that story and i've you know that trauma porn label because i feel like you know you can be successful in this country if you uh bring us back to the old south that people love and i'm talking about other people you know people without melanin they love that period of time which is why mammy can win an oscar you understand like it's that's right Something and about you know,
1: it. when I published that book, a lot of, there was a lot of what I called slavery fatigue. People didn't want to read about it anymore. Um, people wanted contemporary stories. Um, as you know, Tara McMillan had brought us into contemporary Black women's stories in a way unlike any other. She revolutionized publishing. To me, she's a living legend. Yes. So um, when I came on the scene, that was what people wanted to read. They wanted to read more contemporary type fiction. But I was really interested in history. And I wanted to write about Black women's friendships during that time because I thought there were still some stories from that time that we hadn't been told yet. And so I wanted to read about Black women talking to each other and being friends with each other and sustaining each other. And at the heart of that book is a friendship between four women.
0: Mm, Yes. And there's always a betrayer among us, Uh, but that's neither here. I don't want to give away too much. Y'all got to read that for yourself. But as, as you are now developing, you know, then you get the 12 years of slave, you know, I think Dawn, Dawn did that over, uh, was, no, it was after Amistad, when she came over to Simon & Schuster, you did that there. Um, and, and so when would you tap for that and what were you thinking? Like, okay, now I'm the slavery go-to person?
1: Well, Dawn asked me to do that because she knew that she just asked me to write an introduction. They were publishing a special edition and it was going to be a limited hardcover edition. She wanted me to write the introduction because she thought I might be able to add some perspective as a woman, as a a historical fiction writer, um, as a PhD. And I was really happy to do it because that's a remarkable book. It reads like fiction, but it is not fiction. And there was also a lot of dispute about whether or not he actually wrote it. And I wanted to address that and clarify that this was his language.
0: Mm, Please tell us. We're talking with Dolan Perkins Valdez, and I read the book because it's public domain. It was public domain. And um, you could read it for free. And so I was miffed at the movie, which won, you know, an Academy Award uh, for I think Best Picture that year, or the, you know. And I was like, the relationship between Solomon Northup and his wife and his children—it was more focused on, you know, him running away and Brad Pitt. But the relationship, which is when he, why when he got snatched, it was so gut-wrenching because you know that this was a fully formed human being who was you know successful and and loved and loving and had this relationship and then they take you through the movie to the end Sort of like that Sealy, uh, you know, at the end when Sealy and Nettie comes back and they moment, you know, that scene at the end <laughs> It's like, no, no, there's so much more that y'all didn't focus on in this movie that. Ah. So tell us about Sa- Solomon Northup in a way that uh, I think people who only watched the movie the way you saw The Color Purple would not understand unless they read the book.
1: You're absolutely right. You know, the the, the biggest outrage, um, other than the fact that they stole him and, and forced him into enslavement, was the devastation of his family. He was, like you say, he was a family man. He was married, he had children. He had been born free. He lived as a free person. And um, the sort of devastation of that was that, after he returned, after he did eventually win his freedom, he was a changed man and was never quite able to reclaim the kind of familial happiness that he had had before. It really devastated his life. Of course, the, the good news is that he, wa- he did manage out of his own intellectual prowess He did manage to escape slavery and he did manage to secure his return. But to me, the biggest outrage was against the family, which I think is sort of just one in the long line of assaults against black families.
0: I was just going to say, Dolan, you know, that was a 12 year interruption. What does a 400 year interruption look like? That was a 12 year interruption. He could not get it together or couldn't get back to a place where the family could, you know, come together. What does a 400-year interruption look like?
1: You know, it looks like mass incarceration. It looks like sentencing discrepancies. I mean, we just heard uh, judge, soon to be justice, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, having to defend her sentencing record when all she was doing was trying to fairly sentence people Um, and based on the guidelines even that she had been given. So I think a 400 interruption looks like, you know, um, healthcare inequity, which is what my newest book uh, addresses. It looks like structural inequities, poverty, all of these things first hit black families as family units.
0: So let's talk about civil, civil Townsend, Montgomery, Alabama. Let's, let's talk about, uh, this book, take my hand and the inspiration for it. So this book is set
1: in 1973, Montgomery, Alabama, and it's about a young nurse who's just finished Tuskegee nursing school and has her first job at a family planning clinic. She wants to help women in her community have more reproductive control over their lives. But very soon she finds out that the clinic is not doing the work she thought it was doing. And she learns that there are two young girls who are her patients, 11 and 13 years old, who've been put on birth control. And one of them, the 11-year-old, has not even begun her cycle yet. And Sybil discovers this very early in the book, and she cannot believe it.
0: So what are they doing putting an 11-year-old who has not had her period on birth control? We have to read the book to find out? about
1: You know, it's a, it's not a spoiler. It's early in the book. They have her belief, the the main character, is that no one ever asked. They assumed. Um, I think Black children are often cast as older than what they are when they're just children, particularly Black boys, but Black girls, too. And so they assumed that she was on her cycle and they also assumed erroneously that she and her sister were sexually active and neither of them has ever even kissed a boy. So it begins with her learning that that clinic which is government funded that has been put in this black community is hurting people. And these people are trusting them and believing that they're helping but actually they're not
0: the book is called take my hand dr dolan perkins valdez let I me mean, be respectful because to go get it thank Steve you, you don't have to call your, me that. no i'm gonna do that because you went and, and did that uh dr dolan um what inspired you to do this particular book and then talk because there's a lot of people listening who you know folk want to be writers and there's a lot of writers listening uh, your process, because I feel like anytime you put something out into the universe, that's going to be there forever. It's your responsibility to make sure that there is something of value in that. Whether, you know, whether it's confessions of a video vixen, that's a book that I did, uh, (laughs) which if you read it, there's something of value in it because I think it's important. Even if I'm an ancillary participant or a ghostwriter, I'm going to make sure there's at least two or three kernels of knowledge or power in those books because they're going to be there forever this is an important topic that we're suffering with right now um but it's it's different than the other books that you've done which have been mostly you know hearkening back to enslavement in some way or you know that that kind of that period of time what was the impetus for
1: this one well I should really just try to follow my curiosity I was really curious about this moment you know it's inspired by this real life court case, Ralph v. Weinberger, and the the lives of two actual little black girls who were sterilized without their family's consent, um, Minnie Lee and Mary Alice Ralph, who were in real life, they were 12 and 14. And I began by just thinking, I wanted people to know about it. Not enough people knew about this. At the time that it happened, it was all over every major newspaper in the country from The New York Times to the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune. It was in um, Jet Magazine, you know, that was what we read back in the 70s. It was in all the major uh, publications, the story about these two girls. But yet so many of us now don't know about the case. It um, set a precedent for the rise of informed consent laws. But also I know that there are still women now who are being sterilized without their consent. Most recently in California state prisons, we learned that there were women primarily of color, black women who had been sterilized without their consent. And, and that has been proven to actually be true. Um, but there's also been allegations of uh, immigrant women in the detention facilities who are being sterilized without their consent allegedly So I believe that um, some stories just need to be told. Some people need to hear this that don't know about it. And that really motivates me to write.
0: How how do you come across a a case like this? You know, um, is it in your studies? You know, like, what were you reading to come across Ralph, R-E-L-F versus Weinberger? And in that first sentence, those... Those names are there and their ages and it's stunning.
1: It's stunning. It's really stunning. And the interesting thing about it is it's everywhere. It's not a hidden secret. Like if you were to Google my first book, Wench, about the resort in Ohio where they vacationed, you wouldn't find very much because that was sort of hidden in the archives. But this case is all over. If you Google this, it's all over the internet. It's all over YouTube. It's, if you're watching a documentary, quite often they will flash footage of those sisters because there's lots of archival film of them. And it was always sort of a side note. It, was, it never received the kind of central attention that the Tuskegee syphilis experiment did. We've seen the Tuskegee syphilis experiment on screen. We've seen the movie. We know a little bit about it. Most of us know a little bit about it if we don't know all the details, but this kind of thing was always sort of a passing note and I believe that's often the case for Black women's histories, that Black women's histories aren't often centrally located when we talk about Black history. And so for me, I saw it everywhere. And then one day I thought, I need to write about that. And then I thought, maybe somebody's already written about it, but no one had.
0: That's amazing. All right. So we're going to read it. And, I, and I'm to novela, I love your writing style, first of all. Uh, thank you 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 can write your ass off Dolan Perkins Valdez well
1: I don't you know I'm a very different writer than somebody like a Toni Morrison right like when I first read Toni Morrison I didn't understand her now she sets the gold standard for all of us writers because she changed the form my writing is you know I like to think of myself as a kitchen table writer right and I do literally write at the kitchen table that's sometimes the only place to find in my crazy house but um, I want everybody to be there's nothing inaccessible or difficult about my work like anyone can read it um, you know I write for everyone and and I don't you know at all try to make it more difficult or try to talk uh, more eloquently than I need to to get my point across I, I write plain. That's <laughs> my grandmother. No, I mean, saying, but that but that is and a name <laughs> that but that is you know um
0: that is the way you should write everything everybody you know, and I'm not and, and when you said that uh Tony Morrison is the gold standard, she is an absolute genius, but that was her style, and I think everybody has their own style um I often will buy books if I'm writing something to to grab onto because there are elements in these books that make them successful, so you should master the format. But find That's your right. voice in the format. Find your voice in the format because everything is formulaic, right? Just gotta find That's your right. your right. Fo- fingerprint. Um, as as you are, you know, this book is g- gonna be out. You know, is out. Uh, take my hand and um, is doing well. There's all this other ancillary, you know, the the movies, the TV shows, you know, all of these streaming platforms now um, have popped up. Is when's gonna be made into a movie?
1: Not that I know of. It was optioned a couple of times, but, it, you know, a lot of times the option just doesn't ever play out. So it never was. And this current book Take My Hand does not have an option. So. What's your
0: goal? Like, is that is that like, you know, I, I talked to um, Angie Thomas about this, you know, because she's just like on a roll, you know, after the hate you give. And it's like, now all of the fame and all of the success and all the money, right? Because the money for a person um, and people, we were ta- talking with Tracy about this in, in Nubia. She visited us in the space that we created. And we had a conversation because we're about to break down this book on Monday, uh, Barracoon. Yeah, we're going to go chapter and verse into deep into this. So I wanted to find out why she- that book. I have that she, book. Oh, I, everyone should have this book. I'm holding up Barracoon, the story of the last black cargo, because, you know, as Dr. Carr takes us on his journey, he wants to make a bridge between there and here to show that we are the same people. And this man, Kasula demonstrates that all of this talk about lineage and this and that, and this and that is great for, for conversation about reparations, but let's never forget that we are tied to one another inextricably. And, um, so we had that conversation, but I'm like, always, she was talking about the enormous amount of money now that's in publishing for a lot of black authors and millionaires are getting million dollar contracts. And I'm like, yes, because when you, t- you brought up Terry McMillan, before her, you know, it was like a lot of self-published situations. There was Iceberg Slim, there was, um, <laughs> uh, um who was the other one? Uh, Donald Goines, and you know, they were prolific, but they you know, they weren't getting a million dollar contracts from the major publishers. So That has changed. How has that changed your life, Dolan Perkins?
1: You know, I'm just happy to be published and I'm happy to see other black writers getting published. You know, when I first started trying to write before I got my first book contract, it often felt exactly like you said. Most black writers were having to self-publish because New York publishing would have its darlings. They would pick one or two black writers a year who they would get behind. And there would be no air in the room for other writers. And it created a real environment among Black writers of us feeling like we were fighting for scarce resources. But of course, that didn't mean that we were ever antagonistic to each other. I have experienced such love and friendship and sisterhood in the Black writing community. There's absolutely no, I have never encountered any kind of animosity, but definitely it felt for a long time like there was only going to be one or two darlings now there are lots more voices people have a lot of choices i was just telling somebody on instagram black bookstagram is on fire the black bookstagrammers are just doing everything to promote black books and i'm getting a lot of recommendations there we've got black fantasy writers black ya black romance you know we still have black people who like black inspirational So I feel that we are, uh, you know, having a a renaissance of some sort and I hope it lasts. And I hope it grows because I think there's even more space in the market. People want our stories and not everybody wants to read. I write historical, but I also read other things, you know,
0: because we're, we're, you know, I think it's here forever because I think for the first time, unlike other periods of time, we actually have power. As well, we drive markets those That's books right. your your books are primarily driven by us, which means you don't need them. They need you. The publishers want to sell books it's it's capitalism supply and demand if that's the demand they're going to follow it it used to be they dictated what your demand was going to be but they can't do that any longer because as you mentioned Angie Thomas will come out of nowhere once there was like one blip like a Tyler Perry movie would be number one they're like okay that's an anomaly now you can't even stop it so I think if we keep and if we keep the energy of collaboration and community and not get caught up in the scarcity model which is what they they bank on we're gonna be fine we're gonna be fine because these publishing houses are dwindling and black books are are the ones that are saving many of these houses so
1: that's true now we just need more black editors yes yes now ron davis has left the publishing world and we Mm -hmm. need to and and part of what we're gonna have to do is mentor young aspiring black editors so that they can rise through the ranks we need more I mean I go to publishing events and I just don't see any the, you know I see black writers but I don't see black editors
0: and, I, and I'm glad you said that because I'm you know one of the reasons why I'm not in publishing anymore is because I'm you know I'm exhausted and I couldn't do all of the things and I'm not an editor Yet I was, you know, reduced to editing like Chris Jenner's book and a host of other books. And I'm like, I'm not even an editor. We need we need people who love the words as much as they love to write to also want to make other people's words sing. <sighs> Dolan, thank you for, for coming through today. Take thank My you. Hand is the book. Dr. Dolan Perkins Valdez is the author. Get the book, get the book, get the book. And come on back, come on back. Thank given. you Open so seat. much for having me. My pleasure.